Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and uh, the Keys of the Kingdom specifically. Uh, I noticed that they put a new picture up at uh, Freedomizer where we do this show in the afternoon, and uh, it shows somebody holding a key. And, of course, that's what we're doing is talking about the key, and the key, of course, is Christ. But what does that mean? I mean, all kinds of people say they believe in Christ. Somebody sent something on Facebook quoting Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. That sounds great, you know, if you're into Habakkuk. <laughs> Most people don't even know who Habakkuk is, but we've done a whole study on Habakkuk. But Habakkuk 14 says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But uh, that is laced between uh, two verses. Uh, verse uh, 12 says, Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establish a city by iniquity. And after that verse 14 we see, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, and puttest thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. What? Nakedness? That sounds like, uh, you know, Noah and the sons looking at his nakedness. Well, we have a whole article on nakedness. So that you will know one of the keys to the kingdom is knowing that words don't always mean what people tell you they mean. They mean what the author meant them to mean. <laughs> so, we have to go and take a look at... Uh, what the authors meant them to being, uh, mean, and what is a city of blood? What is a city made with blood? Uh, it tells you in the Bible. It tells you about having a cauldron and we being the flesh. So if you're the flesh in the cauldron, you're the blood in the cauldron, and they're saying, actually, we build a city, and the way we do it is we do it in a cauldron, and we be the flesh in that cauldron. And that is like the common purse. We all have one purse. We're all in one basket. We're all in one bowl. Uh, somebody gets to decide uh, whose flesh we're going to eat today. <laughs> whose blood we're going to live on today. And of course what's happened is that you've drained all the blood out of you and you're in debt up to your ears. And now you're draining the blood of your children by, you know, this week they're going to raise the dead ceiling again. The that's the debt ceiling for your children and your unborn children for generations to come. You will be in the bondage of Egypt forever. We talked about that in the program this morning. Since we're going through Exodus, that's a really important thing to understand. Even though listening to Jordan Peterson and all of his scholars and reading all of the commentaries that go along with Exodus every time I prepare one of these study plans... Uh, to take a look at what other people think these words mean. But then I go back to the original Hebrew and see what Moses meant. <laughs> and Moses didn't mean what they're telling you he meant today. I know everybody wants to think they know what Moses meant, but they did not. And part of that is the Masoretic text. Part of that is the Church of Constantine Part of that is the strong delusion that Jesus said that he would, that God would send. 
They would send it. Why? Because of your covetous practices. Your eyes would be darkened and you would not be able to see this. But if you're listening to this program, I see people logging on, listening to the the program. I can only see those people who call in and log on. I don't know how many people are listening uh, at Freedomizer. Or we'll listen in the future because we'll record this and we will put this program out so that everybody can hear this program and you can share it with your friends and share it with your neighbors. And we will put it up on the different web pages that uh, the different shows are dealing with. Uh, but we will uh, take the the recordings and edit it and put them up at Preparing You. And since we're up to Exodus 9, that's probably what we're going to be doing is Exodus 9. You never know. From moment to moment, God may say, oh. We're not going that way. We're going another way. So we just take it as the Lord leadeth. And uh, because the Lord has given us the time to do these things. Uh, this morning I talked about a couple of things like uh, when was Moses? And I, I mentioned the patterns of evidence and uh, the Egyptologist uh, David Roll, R-O-H-L. And uh, other Egyptologists are thinking that we have the date of when the Israelites were in the bondage of Egypt, incorrect. And then I also added to our Masoretic page and our page on Melchizedek, who is Melchizedek, because there's a number of different opinions as to who Melchizedek is and who Melchizedek is not. And uh, a part of, the, you know, one theory uh, makes it so that Melchizedek is light, likely, in the Masoretic text, there are differences between the Masoretic text and earlier texts of the Hebrew Torah and Pentateuch that we have. And, of course, we have more now from the Dead Sea Scrolls, etc. And you can look at the different texts. The Masoretic text drops things off, leaves things out, and then they also tell you what the Hebrew means. And they... I don't trust the Masoretic scribes. I mean, the, the text is pretty accurate. Uh, there are clearly differences between the Masoretic and the older text. And one thing that you notice in the Masoretic text, because they changed the age of people, you know, it said that so-and-so lived to be 135 before they gave, uh, you know, they had their first offspring. And there's actual archaeological evidence uh, it's not very, it, it could be easily refuted because it's very limited. Of course, we're talking way back that there was a bloodline ancestry of mankind and there's no reason to believe that this isn't possible, that they actually lived much longer. And of course, that's what we see is Noah and his righteous generations was living much longer and Shem lived much longer. But then the the people that came after that that were giving birth, that were descendants of Shem, they weren't having children till like they were 130 years old. So that would change the time frame up to Abraham. And if we go, they drop off in the Masoretic text, they just drop off the 135 years and say at 35 they had a child. Which could be true. But it's not what it says in the original text. Shem was dead in the original text. Abraham wasn't born till Shem was dead. Not still alive, if I said it right before. Not still alive when Abraham was born. 
was very clear that the Masoretic text dropped that off. If they shouldn't have dropped that off, if it was accurate, then Abraham wasn't born till Shem was dead. If it was accurate to drop that off and the original text of the earlier text was wrong, which I don't know how the Masoretic guys determined that, because they weren't necessarily divinely inspired, but for some reason they dropped that off, which also brings the whole story of the flood up. So Shem lived for a period of time, which it says, then he died. If we dropped a hundred years off, Abraham was born much earlier in the time sequence. And so if we go back to the original text, it pushes the flood way farther back, which is really good because that gives us more time to have the generations we need to have Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, and all those things take place. And then the bondage of Egypt and then Moses comes along. So the whole time frame shifts around if we use the Masoretic text as opposed to the original Hebrew text. And also the David Rowe and Patterns of Evidence are saying that the time that the Israelites were in Egypt needs to be pushed back farther too. And you can go look those, the reason I mentioned those names, you can go, there's lots of YouTubes up. The whole movie I think you can probably download for free, uh, on the internet if not in, in other providers and services. And it's interesting. I don't think everything is 100% accurate. I don't think everything I tell you is 100% accurate. I, I, I once thought Having read the Masoretic text, even though I was going back to the Hebrew and taking that on its face value, I was saying, well, wait a minute. Shem is still alive and Abraham is alive. So maybe Shem is Melchizedek. And then I go look up all kinds of other things that are written by Jews and and other sources outside of the Bible. And they say, well, that's what they thought for years and years and years. But evidently, they thought that, or were preaching that, according to some people, because they were trying to discredit Christ as the Messiah. Well, it didn't discredit Christ as the Messiah to me. It discredited some of the theories about who Melchizedek was. But those are theories. There's no real proof. I mean, people say, well, that was Jesus. Well, maybe. It's pretty sketchy logic. It's not much proof that it was Jesus. But what it is very clear by reading the Hebrew text, in both the Masoretic and the earlier text, is that Melchizedek was a righteous king of peace. Not of Salem, not a town, but of peace. It's a very clear statement, written very clearly. You look at all the letters of the Hebrew in the original text. And yeah, this Melchizedek was some king. They don't give his name. That was a righteous king of peace who... Abraham was tithing to. So he was around. He was physically around to tithe to if that statement is correct. So whoever he was, and he could be a number of people, and, you know, I've looked at a lot of histories, and you could guess a couple of other people, but the important thing isn't his name. If it was, they would have given us his name. But instead, they give us a description. Abraham chose to give a tithing 
to a righteous ruler of peace. Not a ruler of force like Biden and Trump and and the Queen of England and, you know, the Prime Minister of whatever. They all use force to take care of the needy of their society. That's all public religion. You know, and they can do that. It's going to have a different effect than if you did it by free will offerings, which is what Christ preached, what Peter preached, what John the Baptist preached, and it's what Moses was going to teach the people how to do. If you decide to provide your social safety net by men who exercise authority one over the other, the benefits they offer you are the gifts, gratuities, and benefits that take away liberty. They are the dainties of rulers, as it says in Proverbs, that are deceitful meats and are a snare and a trap, according to Paul, according to David, according to Proverbs, according to Moses. Because Moses actually uses some of these same words in his own text, which we'll get to as we go through the other chapters. But... Uh, when I'm going through these word by word and phrase by phrase and looking up all the different guys, I come to a very clear conclusion that most people, including Jordan Peterson and his Exodus guys, are missing the absolute crucial elements of the Gospel of Moses, which we will get to at least start getting into deeply by the time we get to Exodus 12. But right now we're in Exodus 9. So rather than delay anymore and take any more time, let's get right into it. Uh, there's quite a few verses. It took us more than an hour to get through, uh, what was it, 32 verses this morning. But uh, let's see how long it takes us to get to this. I've used up almost 15 minutes of the show. Well, it, it, the first thing in this, we did the other plagues in in chapter 8. And we got right to it, right down to the wire. But now, this begins with the fifth plague of Egypt. The livestock die. And I gave you a hint this morning of why the livestock might be going to die. And there's a couple of different reasons. And it all begins with the water turning to blood. It sets in motion a chain reaction. Now, the extent of the reaction uh, in nature, because God is the God of nature. And so, therefore, when you throw something out of balance in nature, you throw something out of balance in the spirit, something out of balance in nature takes place. That's very important to know because today, the spirit of Babylon is running rampant in your streets. And if uh, Jordan Peterson and his guys studying Exodus, if if a lot of the other churches that are reading to these commentaries would address the elephant in the room is the fact that the entire world, generally speaking, there's our, our minor exceptions here and there, but they're kind of hidden away and nobody hardly knows where they are. And that's a good thing. <laughs> there are thousands who God has preserved. But the reality is 90% of the world has gone back into the bondage of Egypt where their labor is not 100% theirs. It's not 90% theirs. It's not... You know, it's in, in some places, it's it's half of their labor is gone. And they're in debt. They don't own their land. They don't own their livestock. Uh, we're going to have uh, the federal government come by here and want to count the livestock on the church as if that's some sort of asset of the government. That's why they're going 
you know, the, even even your census for the people is taken care of by the agricultural department and the Department of Interior. <laughs> so we're all livestock. Actually, that was an interesting thing. Just this week, uh, in, in we're in 2023 when we're doing this, but I, it's a timeless message, so it won't really make any difference. But actually, this week, they passed a law that they don't have to do animal studies for their new products that they put in people and inject in people and give to people and medications. They don't have to do animal experimentations first because we're going to count the people as the animals. <laughs> so, so uh, you're all you're all just livestock. You're all numbered, and uh, well, you don't have a brand yet, but it doesn't really matter. Ownership has changed hands. And you're in the bondage of Egypt forever. And the people, when they went into uh, bondage in Egypt back in Genesis, it was forever. This was to ever be a law in Egypt. 20% of the labor of the people of Egypt were going to belong to the government. And that was bondage. That's Corvey's statutory system of bondage. That 20% is your tribute to the king. And what you give the king is worship. And we'll, we will look at that when we get to other verses in the, actually in, well, it's over and over again all throughout the Bible, but we'll certainly see it in Exodus that this has to do with worship. But in this first verse, then the Lord said to Moses, go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. And that word serve there is actually a word related to worship, which we'll see again over and over again. Verse 2, For if thou refuse to let them go and will hold them still, and that word hold there is chesak, which is often translated hardened in relationship to the the Pharaoh's heart. But sometimes it's not. And that's why I have a whole series for those of you who are just new to this. And I've, if you go to Preparing You and you look up, you can follow along uh, with Exodus 9. I have that color coded to show you where these three words, Chesek, Kebed, and uh, Kwasha, uh, are all translated hardened as in harden the heart of the Pharaoh. It's not always the same word, and they all mean something a little bit different. But uh, it's not essential to what we're looking at today. So, But I've got it marked in there so you can do your own study. We have the footnotes in there so you can see which words these are and why do they translate them so many different ways. But he's going to hold them. Now, he's already said under previous plagues, this is the fifth plague, he's already said under others that, yeah, I'll let him go. And then he reneges and said, well, no, I'm not going to let him go. Oh, no, I'll let him go, but no, I'm not going to let him go. So he, he's going back and forth. And every time he goes back and forth, it gets worse and worse. It's it's kind of like an addict. You know, if you go off the wagon and you take the drug again, it gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't get better. You either quit or you keep at it. You keep at it. It gets worse. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle which is in the field upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep, there shall be a very grievous, there's the word kabed, normally hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, kabed, grievous, moraine. 
and, and that word moraine is uh, delet be it rash, and it means pestilence or plague. So there's going to be a severe plague, and uh, it's going to be very grievous, very hard on you. Very uh, kabed has to do with being fruitful, to be to fatten, to increase, to make it bigger, to make it more, to enlarge it. So yeah, the plague's going to be really large, and it's going to hit your all your livestock. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. That's the miracle. Not the fact that a disease came up and killed the cattle. That happens all the time. It is kind of a miracle that Moses could predict it. But all the Israelites went into bondage because Joseph predicted what was coming. And Joseph predicted it because he saw dreams. Moses predicted it because he saw visions. And he saw visions because he had learned a particular meditation practice that allowed him and his heart and mind to come close to God through what he was doing when he was out there in this other land that he had gone to for quite a few years. He'd been out in the wilderness for years and he learned a lot about himself, a lot about God, and a lot about the ways of God. And so that he was able to actually draw so near God, he was able to communicate to God. To God. And what we see him communicating to is this bright light at night that will become a pillar of fire in the sky and was a burning bush, what he thought was a burning bush, and will look like a pillar of smoke during the day. And we'll talk more about that when we get to that, what that is. I'm not going to tell you everything, but I'm going to get you closer and closer to realize that what they've been telling you have been misleading you. Because I'm always going to take you back to the purpose of the message, the meaning of the message, and not the form. I don't want you worshiping the form. That's idolatry. I want you to worship the actual God of creation and serve. That means worship, serve serve the God of creation by doing all the same things that Christ said to do. And we will put that actually into things that you can actually do that the modern church is not doing. And it has substituted form for the meaning. And so anyway, this is what God is telling them to do and and telling Moses and Aaron to do and why he's telling them to do it. And the Lord shall sever between them the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. So this is very important. Uh, And there shall nothing die of all that is of the children of Israel. So there's a way to save the animals from the plague that's coming. And such means could be at our disposal as well. I mean, I survived COVID. (laughs) How did I survive COVID? Old man like I am, uh, I survived COVID. And uh, we could survive all kinds of things uh, if we actually follow the ways of God and he will show us how to do that. And Moses clearly was showing, he was through Moses, God was going to separate the people of Israel and their cattle out and Actually, even Egyptians eventually would be spared some of these plagues if they began to listen to Moses. And remember, this is all about the fact that when Moses first started speaking, the people didn't want to listen to him. They're starting to want to listen to him now. 
Uh, and anyway, that's what we're going to be seeing unfolding step by step in this process that, of chess that God is playing with mankind and the Pharaoh. Giving us the free choice to move our pieces the way we want. But because we move them in a certain way, certain things happen because we live in a cause and effect universe. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died, but the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Now when they say morrow, they're talking about, there's a time frame here. It's not like they all just like, poop, drop dead one day. But they did die. And it all started happening pretty much at when Moses is saying these things. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. Must have all been vaccinated, huh? <laughs> I don't think it was a vaccination. But there there was something going on there. And the heart of the Pharaoh was hardened. There's that kabed, the same word we just saw as grievous, is now hardened. And he did not let the people go. So this this devastated the people. Now most of the people in in Egypt are are not carnivores. They're not uh, they're not on a keto diet. They're vegetarians. They eat a lot of grain. They eat a lot of vegetables. They eat a lot of fruit. But the vegetables they don't keep long. The grain does. So they have to have a certain amount of grain. They have to have a regular amount of the vegetables that come, but it's a tropical climate. As long as they have the floods, they can keep these things growing uh, through their system of dikes. But now something else comes up, and we touched on this this morning, some of the reasons that this might have occurred. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heavens in the sight of the Pharaoh. So this is a outward sign in the sight of the Pharaoh. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take ashes and throw it up in the air. I actually saw some ashes today on the top of our wood stove. Our wood stove is probably a hundred years old in this house. I'm not a hundred years old, but I bought it used. <laughs> so many, many, uh, half a century ago, I bought it used. And, um, uh, I noticed these little flakes of ash, and when I went by, all of a sudden the ash started moving almost like it was alive, and I, I thought, I thought that was fascinating. Also, in the morning program, I had, had a noceum gnat, it's a biting gnat, that was actually on my screen when I was talking. I could see him bouncing around on my screen. It's the middle of winter, where did he come from? So anyway, I saw this ash, and it moved like it was alive. I actually went over there and kind of blew on it. And when it moved, it kind of moved and moved like it was alive. Now, I'm not saying that that ashes became alive or anything like that. But this was a symbol in front of the sight of Pharaoh. I mean, he's telling you this. Moses has this all condensed down. And he condenses it hugely with the Hebrew words. This is why he's adding all these letters to the Hebrew words. Because it means more. Even the word sprinkle. If you look at the word sprinkle, is that a different word than the word sprinkle in other places? Well, I could go into all this and then you get lost in all this as if knowing Hebrew is going to save you. No, knowing the Spirit of God is going to save you. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth 
with blames upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, I told you that, you know, bubonic plague, tularemia, all these things can be spread by a flea or by a gnat, a biting gnat, at, like noceums. They can be spread by them. And we had a young boy, he's a homeschooler, part of our community here. He's now up in Alaska. And he got tularemia and he broke out with, you know, lymphoid uh, boils on his neck. They thought he was going to die. They did, couldn't even figure out what it was. I mean, it's basically like the bubonic plague. It's slightly different, but it's all part of the same kind of family. So, if you just had gnats everywhere, and now within so many days, suddenly you're having these boils, wow, uh, could they be connected? Could they have spread a disease that are now coming up? And Moses, understanding these things, knew exactly what was going to happen. Now, remember... The Israelites were spared the gnats and the flies. Uh, I believe they were also spared to some degree the frogs. The frogs may have come up, but they got rid of the dead bodies. They didn't just heap them up where all of a sudden that could uh, increase the number of flies and create this stink and all this kind of stuff. Uh, because I can tell you, I remember once we had flies out here. Deer flies used to be really bad. They'll probably be bad again. That's the way it is in the desert. Uh, we haven't had any rain for two years. Now, all of a sudden, uh, the rain is coming. But uh, actually, the father to that same boy and I were working on what was going to be his house. And we were nailing up boards and stuff like that. And uh, we had hard hats in case the building inspector came about. But they were laying on the floor, a yellow one and a blue one. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, he was saying, uh, Bob was his name, and Bob was saying, Oh, man, the, the flies are just all around me. I mean, I, I can't stand them. And I says, I looked over at him, and there were no flies around me. And I looked over at him, and I says, it's your blue shirt. And he says, what? I says, yeah, it's your blue shirt. It's attracting the flies. You know, light, you know, the sunlight reflecting off of your shirt, that's a frequency that creates the light blue. We see it as blue. But whatever it does, it seems to be attracting all the deer flies because they're all around you and there's none around me. And he looked over and there's none around me. He says, that's ridiculous. I never heard anything so crazy in my life. And I looked down at the two hard hats. I just was, my attention was drawn down there. I said, Bob, look at the hard hats. And there are two hard hats sitting about four feet apart. <laughs> one, exactly the same kind of hard hat. Except for one was bright yellow and the other one was bright blue. And the bright, bright blue one had like six or seven <laughs> deer flies hovering around it and trying to land on it. And they just were circling. Nothing around the yellow one. Now, I just noticed that in the minute because I see patterns. And I pointed it out. Now, he was in the same place. We weren't, we were the same distance away from all these things. But he didn't see it. And I, I understand most people don't see these patterns. But there it was. I mean, like he was dumbfounded. But I don't know if he still believes. And that's the way I'm showing you all kinds of stuff. I don't know if you're going to believe. <laughs> but what will show me you believe is you actually start doing what Moses was going to tell the people to do. What Jesus told the people to do. And everybody, because they're not doing it, they say, and yet they say they believe in Jesus. Well, we're not doing that. So, no, that doesn't matter. Jesus didn't think that was important. No, you don't think it's important. But Jesus thought it was real important. That's why Jesus commanded his disciples to make the people 
come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And he did this so that if something comes up where there's a biting fly that is attracted to the color blue and repelled by the color yellow, <laughs> uh, we're going to send out through the network, everybody better put on their yellow shirt today. <laughs> or whatever it is. I'm just making that up. But the point is, is that God reveals to his people through all kinds of means. I mean, Moses tells Aaron... And Aaron holds the staff out. So, who did it? Did, was it the staff? Was it a magic wand? Was it Aaron? Was it the power in Aaron? Or was it the power in Moses? No, it's the power in God. But Moses had come close to God, drawn near God, because of what he had chosen to do in his life. What he chose to give up, what he cho- the way he chose to walk, the way that he would not turn away from the light he went to the light. Adam and Eve ran from the light. But Moses went to the light and then communicated to God through something he called the burning bush and then later called the pillar of fire. But what really what is going on? What is really the instrumental power in these events that are taking place? And it's the Spirit of God that breathes through the nostrils, when you see breathe, that actually is a word that means nostril, the breath of God, which sometimes is equated with the wrath of God. And I mention it here because eventually when we talk about the anger of Moses, the word there, anger, is actually nostril. <laughs> They're talking about the breath going through the nostril. Is he really angry or is he breathing out something expressing something with his breath that is showing a different emotion. The Masoretic interpreters will want you to think that Moses got ticked off and angry. That may not be the case. But I'll leave it to you and the Holy Spirit to figure it out. So, we're in the sixth plague now because uh, the heart of the heart uh, the Pharaoh has been hardened. He sprinkled this ash up into the air and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon the man and upon the beast throughout all the land. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses sprinkled it up towards the heaven because that's what he was told to do and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon the man and upon the beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils, uh, the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So they got it too. We've seen how the magicians first, you know, he throws down a staff, turns to a snake. They throw down their staff and it turns to a snake, but Moses' the snake dominates it. Uh, he, he makes the water turn red with blood. They make the water turn red with blood. They said, we can do that too, Moses. Big deal. Uh, what they couldn't do is take the blood out of the water. <laughs> and we see that they could, they could bring the frogs, but they couldn't bring the gnats. And we pointed out that all these plagues have to do with different Egyptians' gods. And we can go look at that at another time, but we'll be short today for time. Maybe after the first hour. Again, we will take calls after the first hour and give that another experiment. Last week we tried to do it and we had technical difficulties. I couldn't hear anybody. So 
Anyway, and so even though the magicians now, and they're beginning to turn, we saw that in the previous chapter. They're beginning to say, hey, you know, we got this guy's God is God, you know, kind of thing. Um, but they're still kind of complaining. Uh, some of these magicians had in their hearts, like the Sanhedrin had in their hearts, we need to just kill Moses. We should have killed all the Israelites to begin with. But now we, we need to kill Moses. And we need to get rid of him. But they're not doing it. Why? There's something going on here. And I could get into it in more detail, but we'll just get through this chapter. And the Lord hard, hardened Shazak, different word, not Kabad, the heart of the Pharaoh. And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Now, none of these words, Chazak or Kabad, none of these mean that it's taking away the free agency of Pharaoh. It's just that God knew Pharaoh, knew what he would do if Moses did things in a certain way. And he's literally being manipulated. And you go back in our earlier programs, we explain how that works. And people like Jordan Peterson, they know how that works. How you, But having the skill to manipulate people is very dangerous. Very, it, it endangers you if you're not doing it according to righteousness. If you're doing it for selfish reasons, it will be your undoing. Verse 13. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrew, Let my people go that they may serve me. Again, serve me. That word serve me. We'll look at that eventually in greater detail, but it has to do with worshiping. And he even says it in other places, using multiple words to describe what service and worship is. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, I actually was at a symposium out in Colorado once where one of the speakers wanted to say that the the voice that they spoke to in the uh, pillar of fire was evil, leading the people in the wrong way. I could believe that if I didn't understand where Moses was actually leading the people. And if we understand where Moses is actually leading the people, maybe we will see it too. For now I will stretch out my hand that I will smite thee and thy people with pestilence. And thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power. And that my name be declared throughout all the earth. As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. So he's he's not letting the people go, and bad things are going to happen. This is cause and effect. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous, that grievous word again is that same word we see as hardened, kabed, which means enlarged, increased, fatten, you know, it has to do with this increased hail. This is, this. in other words, there's going to be a lot of hail coming. 
such as not been seen in Egypt since the foundations thereof, even until now. So nothing like this has ever quite happened. Send therefore now, and gather thy, thy cattle, and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field, and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. Now, who's he talking about? The only one who should have any cattle is the Israelites. Well, maybe. Uh, you have to remember, some of the Egyptians have already started listening to Moses. Just like some of the Sanhedrin listened to Christ. It wasn't a majority, but they were starting to listen. So some of their cattle may have been spared. They may have received the protection, however that came. But whoever, any animals that did not die from the plague that came through, and, you know, the fellow that had the tularemia, he's pretty much immune to tularemia. <laughs> he, he got better, and he's immune to it. He could probably go into the skinning business and not worry about the fleas biting him because he's not going to get tularemia again. So that... Some of those who survive this disease are going to be hardier animals, less likely to get it in the future. But evidently, somehow, the Israelite cattle were already immune. But they're not immune to hail coming from the sky, fire and brimstone coming from the sky. So they're going to have to come indoors to protect them. In verse 20, He that feared the word of the Lord amongst the servants of Pharaoh made his servants... And his cattle flee into the houses. So those who who respected the word of the Lord by way of Moses, they brought their cattle in. Some did not. And he that regardeth not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. So some people are out in the field when this hail comes. That's not a good deal. They may not have made it back. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast and upon every herb uh, herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. So, you know, basically, even if you had some cabbages in the ground before this hail came, some fruit on the trees that was pretty ripe but not completely ripe. You want to pick it and get it indoors because all heck is going to break loose. And Moses, we're seeing Moses telling everybody, even in Egypt, that they have to do this. Now, you can pretty much take it for granted that he's already told the, the Israelites to prepare. But now he's actually even telling some of the people of Egypt what's coming because this is going to be grievous. And Moses stretched forth his rod towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail, very grievous, kabad again, such as there was none like in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So, he repeats, he says what God's going to do, and then it happens. 
And this is part of the miracle, that it's happening when he says it's going to happen. It's a natural thing that could happen. It's happening in a real grievous way. doesn't have anything to do with the fish in the sea or that died. It doesn't have anything to do with the gnats. It doesn't have anything to do with the frogs. But it may have had something to do with volcanoes. And there are people who speculate that. And we mentioned that. But again, the fact is, even if it's a natural occurrence, Moses seems to have a heads up that it's coming. Tells the people what to do. If you're not in the network, you may not hear about what you need to do. Now, generally, what you do every day is follow the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, the Holy Spirit leads you together with other people following the Holy Spirit. And together, young men will, you know, dream dreams and old men will see visions or vice versa. And they will tell you, we see this in the first century church. They knew what was coming. They knew the dearth was coming. They were preparing for it. Well, you don't have to be a magician to figure out something's coming. But there is nothing you need more than a network of people that love one another. Verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. He said there was no hail. So, what caused that? Why no no hail there? Now, I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with that light in the sky (laughs) that we will see later. Whatever. But that, people said, wait a minute. These guys are lucking out. When they were being persecuted by Pharaoh, very few people did anything for them. But they had a whole network that reached all across Egypt. We told you how that was created. And it was created out of the words of, out of the commands of Pharaoh. and created this network. So Israelites knew people all over Egypt. They knew the Israelites. They knew the plight of the Israelites. They were learning, Israelites were learning to be that intentional community of liberty. And they were talking about that when they would meet with the Egyptians. They spoke Egyptian. They communicated with Egyptians. They were learning this language, this Hebrew language, which wasn't a spoken language, it was a written language. But it would become spoken language, and it probably already was at this particular stage. But uh, it was not invented to be spoken, it was invented to be written. So in verse 28, or let's go back to verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called Moses, now it says sent, and called Moses. Before he called Moses, now he sent and called Moses. Eventually he will command Moses and Aaron to show up. In verse 25, And the hail smote throughout the land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field. It was literally stripping the branches off the trees. And if you had any plants or bushes, it was stripping them all off. Now they may not have all died, but if there was fire running upon the ground, in other words, this hail was actually, when it hit, and I've seen this, and which leads me to believe that it came from a volcano. When it hit, it exploded and sent sparks everywhere on the ground. And actually, when it explodes, it releases gases that were heavy gases that flowed along the ground in fire. So it would actually not just strip the leaves off, it would burn the plants. So plants that... And some trees might not ever come back. But certainly they weren't going to be bearing much fruit this year. So this is getting to be devastating. Okay, 
Pharaoh sent for Moses in verse 27, verse 28, entreat the Lord, uh, for it is enough, he says, because he has sinned, and the time of the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. I should have had a link to the word wicked there too. I may have it over in the sidebar. Entreat, because these are very specific words that they have there, like the word sin. It's, uh, chata is the normal word for sin that we see. Actually, uh, chata can, can mean miss the mark. You know, that you, you didn't do it quite right. And so we have this, uh, thing we, we call that, that he says he has sinned. Chet Ted Elif. Uh, but with an additional Tav Yod that Moses puts in there. I don't know that Pharaoh necessarily put it, put that in there. Pharaoh's not speaking Hebrew anyway. But he puts in this Tav Yod, which means that the breach that he's doing is a breach of faith. That he's not living by faith. He's living by his own vanity and anger and resentment. And that's why he's making all these bad choices. And it's getting him in deeper and deeper and deeper. So, he says, Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thundering and hail. He's actually getting scared. I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I I am gone out of this city, city, I will spread abroad my hand unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease. Neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. So he's telling them, he's giving them a heads up. You're not going to keep your word. And it goes on in verse 31, And the flax and the barley was smitten, and the barley was in the ear, and the flax was bold. And I've, I've harvested barley, I've harvested flax, and, but he goes on to say, But the wheat and the rye, which was probably spelt, and not actually rye as we call it today, were not smitten, for they were not grown up. This is important. There will be food in Egypt. Not much food. Because all the barley's gone. There, there's not going to be any trade goods. You're not going to be shipping stuff out. So this is going to affect the whole world. Everybody who does business with with Egypt. So everybody's going to know about this. And the flax was, you know, if if you knock flax down like and beat it down, even if it doesn't burn up, you're not going to harvest it because it gets to be a mess. Uh, because I've summer followed flax fields back into the soil when after they were beat down by hail, and that was just ice and snow hail. So, this is important. When the Israelites are a lot of people, when they leave, there will be enough food for the Egyptian people. So, that will be a motivation. Some of the Egyptian people will want to see the backside of these guys for a lot of reasons now, because there's not going to be much food in Egypt. Uh, because half of their crops were destroyed. There will be some, but this is devastating. But God is not interested in putting everybody to death. 
But these things are coming because the people did not want to let the Israelites go. They did not want to stand up for what was right. They did not want to check their Pharaoh. They let him get away with murder. So anyway, in verse 32, like I said, the wheat and the rye were not spitting because they weren't grown up yet. And Moses went out of the city from the Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was not poured upon the earth. So, was this instantaneous? That would be pretty pretty spectacular. Maybe. I don't think it really matters. I think if you if you start quibbling and arguing over those things, uh, you're missing the whole point. Verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more, which is what Moses said he would do, and hardened Kabed, his heart, he and his servants. So some of his servants, which again, they, these are not just, you know, waiters for table. These are the people that work for his government. They are part of his government, which is why there's this extra yod cough on the word that normally means servant. And the heart of the Pharaoh was hardened again, but a different word, Chezak. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses, because Moses said he was going to do this again. So we went through all these plagues and all these things, and we've only got a few more minutes uh, before we get to the hour. But as I said, there was uh, this idea of I have sinned, and there were these extra letters on that, and I did have the the word wicked over here in the side panel, which was Rasha, which is uh, Ayan Shin Resh, but we see in the actual Hebrew text, even, and I'm looking at the Masoretic text. I don't have a good copy of the earlier text, and I don't even know if they're complete, but we do have those earlier texts in existence, and I should do more looking at them. But uh, I, I admit I was using the Masoretic text, but now I'm finding discrepancies in that even. It doesn't really matter. You can say, oh, well, I will only listen to the Masoretic text. Okay. Well, in that case, Shem was still alive when Abraham was born. (laughs) And when Abraham was still alive, and so Shem is likely to be Melchizedek. But it doesn't matter. They didn't name him. And they didn't name him because it's not important. What's important is that he was a righteous king of peace. Herod was not a righteous king of peace. This is what Dennis, uh, you know, uh, Dennis uh, Prager uh, points out on the panel with Jordan Peterson in episode 5, that the word harden means strengthen, which to him means Pharaoh had free will. And we've already gone over that several times. But uh, Dennis also is talking about these same things. They talk about sin. Uh, Jordan Messing the Mark talks about that. Uh, Dennis also brings up the Sabbath, uh, but the goal of the Sabbath uh, is to do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And the, But the Sabbath is not a day, it's a, a way. I'll, I'll put another link. I know I have links on the page to the Sabbath article. Yeah, I actually have it right there in the same paragraph. That people don't understand that you're not to be 
taking benefits and going into debt by those benefits. And that's what we're doing. That's why they're raising the debt ceiling. That's why you don't own your kids. You don't own your land. You don't own your land. You don't own your country. Uh, the traveling merchants of the earth have a full stock of everything. Men and souls of men and all the precious things and the sheep and the cattle. They own it all. Because you're all in debt. You're, you're ripe for the mark of the beast. And in truth, you already have it. Go read our article on the mark of the beast. But you're not condemned to hell. You're not condemned because you have it. Whether you have it or don't have it, the wrath of God is coming. And we explain the wrath of God. It's simply the consequences of being out of nature. When they were oppressing the people of Israel in Egypt, because they did not know Pharaoh, the earlier Pharaoh, they also did not know the law of nature. That what goes around comes around. You oppress your neighbor, you will be oppressed. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. All the plagues that are coming to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they were willing to put upon the Israelites, their neighbor. And they came back on them. If you're biting one another, you will be devoured. And you have been biting one another since FDR. I have links there on the page so you can go look that up. Why, why is that important? That you're, because you're not going the way of God. And as long as you don't go the way of Christ, the way of God, you'll be led back into the bondage of Egypt, which is where you are at now. But if you want to turn that around, whether you have the mark of the beast or not, you can do that by actually following the way of Christ, which is the way out. Which is what Exodus means. Exodus means the way out. So that's why we're reading Exodus, so that we understand the way out. But Jordan Peterson and his and his episode five, they don't seem to get it, and and because they go all the way up to chapter twelve, and we will cover these things, uh, because as long as we if we want to be free, we have to set our neighbors free. That is absolutely essential. When I was listening, and it's Jordan Peterson in his episode, and like I say, I pick up some things that they're right on. I'm kind of impressed with some of them, but some of the things they don't get. In this episode five, they actually talk about psilocybin, and uh, this is where we talk about meditation. And of course, we have a links to a page on meditation, and we have audios there that explain what the meditation. Meditation is just a procedure that uh, sets the scene for prayer. And the ultimate prayer of God is, not my will, but thine be done. That's what Christ is. You know, it's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, as thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, who's supposed to be doing that will? Uh, Is Hitler doing that will? Is uh, Pharaoh doing that will? Are you doing that will? That's the important question you need to ask. Are you doing the will of the Father? And, but to, you know, like the prayer in Gethsemane, where he finally says, not my will, but thine, that is the ultimate meditation, meditating upon that. Because, you know, what is your will? Who are you? What do you really want? What is, what is in you that is asking you to do this and what is in you asking you to do that? Is it hormones? Is it anger? Is it a spirit of anger that gets into you? Actually, at one point, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about how we deal with doing a a new event 
is that we actually create in our mind, you know, a, with a, a, on the right side of our brain with a lot of attention, we're actually, you know, taking in perception from our eyes, taking in perception from our ears, doing mental, you know, mathematical calculations, whatever the event requires. And we're doing all this and we're constructing what he calls a machine, I would call a neuromechanism, in order to handle a particular thought or or practice or a set of uh, reactions and actions. And you're actually learning how to do that. And when you're learning a new skill, it requires a great deal of concentration. Sometimes it's exhausting. But then as you do it more and more, it becomes almost second nature. And then you you actually... You actually become a bad teacher. <laughs> what, what happens is that you, it becomes such rote knowledge. You don't even realize how many processes are going on in your mind in order to do this. Say you're a carver, wood carver, or a mechanic. There's just so many things you just start doing or maybe a, you know, professional tennis player. You, you don't think about all these things. So many of the things becomes muscle memory and just automatic reaction. And it becomes uh, a force of habit. And uh, now, when that mechanism happens, much of it moves over to the left side of your brain. And then, eventually, he says that some part of that mechanism moves back to the back of your brain, which one of the scholars there referred to as the reptilian brain. This is... This is a brain that doesn't require hormones, doesn't require all these other things. It's really just kind of automatic. That, you know, you, this is a good thing. You don't have to concentrate on it. It's just automatic. You know, like the, there's a deal going around where some guy's holding a baby at a baseball game, a big baseball game, and somebody sends a ball up into the feet, up into the bleachers. I mean, it's way up there. And he's holding a beer, and I guess it's a beer, maybe it's ginger ale, and the baby in the other. And he kind of, Tosses the baby up for a second, grabs the ball, catches the ball, then catches the baby. The baby doesn't even fall. The baby's like almost. You, it happens so fast. You have to see it almost in slow motion. He catches the ball with his hand, doesn't drop the baby, doesn't spill the beer. <laughs> so of course that is just went all over the place. But that catching of the ball, that's the mechanism. He didn't calculate all that out. He didn't figure all that stuff out. No, I don't know about holding the beer and the baby and all that stuff. It's just the guy was pretty good with his hands and, and he just automatically did it. You see this where somebody just automatically, some guy, he just has the reflexes. He doesn't even think about it. It's not about thinking about it. Well, that's because he's done it so much, it's just automatic. It's, but there's a mechanism, a mental mechanism that goes through that happens. It, you know, the hand doesn't see it coming. The eye does. The eye tells the brain. The brain tells the arm and the hand. But it doesn't have to go through your conscious mind. It's reflexive. So, that's a good thing. The bad thing is, is that if you take drugs, if you engage in cussing and swearing, if you engage in immoral activity uh, that degrades other people, if you, you engage in covetous practices... Those become automatic too. You don't even think about them. You don't even realize that I'm engaged in covetous practice. So this automatic reaction to stimulus without going through your conscious mind 
this is a serious problem that where you can, you know, like uh, PTSD. Uh, we used to call it shell shock and all these other things. Uh, but it's a, a stress, and it doesn't have to just come from the military. It can come because you had a disease, because you had a car accident, because somebody died, because you saw something uh, when you weren't quite ready, and it shocked you. And you, it can be really severe. It can be not really severe, but you had an overreaction to it. And now it it becomes, it has slid back your reaction to it, the fear and all this stuff, your reaction to it slides back into that reptilian brain, what they call the reptilian brain, uh, back into your subconscious where, you know, we can just show you a picture of something. And this is where phobias come from. You can hear a sound. You can hear a word. And it triggers that phobia. You don't even see it. You don't even know how it happened. Same way with, uh, you know, PTSD where you have this stress and it's hidden away in this dark part of your mind that you're not familiar with. It's slid back. But it is, the stress of that moment created a mechanism where you, maybe you wanted to panic, you were afraid, you maybe you did panic, maybe you shut down. And, I mean, this is where epilepsy sometimes comes from. Now, epilepsy can also be a physical thing. Damage to uh, cerebral cortex, uh through viruses, through uh, blows to the head, through uh, all kinds of things. But um, the reality is meditation helps you access those things and dismantle that machinery. Now, that's proper meditation. You can't just do this on your own. If you think you can do it on your own, now you're thinking willfully and it's not going to happen. So you have to think in terms of God working in you and give that power to God to God to work in you. So psilocybin is a, a chemical thing that acts upon the brain. But meditation can do the same thing that psilocybin does, but in a more controlled way. And if you meditate for the reason of actually doing the will of the Father, where you're what I like to refer to meditation as waiting upon the Lord then the Lord will become your guide. If you're going to take psilocybin, and I don't advise it, I'm advising against it, but I can't tell you what to do, I can tell you that you really ought to have somebody with you (laughs) helping you guide through this, somebody who knows what they're doing, not just your buddy on the street. Because I've, I've had to deal with people Time and time again, they've done this and they are still suffering the consequences of it. And you might get away with it, but you don't know what you've lost. So, yeah, there are no shortcuts to the kingdom of heaven. And you don't get there through chemistry. You get there through righteousness and seeking the righteousness of God. So, they also mention that Moses was the first leader who was called a servant. And they did this about 38 minutes into that number five. But that isn't really true. I I mean, when I look at the text, I can kind of see that. But Abraham was a servant. He was a leader. Uh, He was heir to the throne of Haran. But he left it to Nahor and went out and did something different. So, yeah, he wasn't the first one to do this. And if we go back before the flood, Melchizedek, 
and others. That's the way Noah, he wasn't going to exercise authority over the people. And so, no, this has been the theme from the beginning. And we need to understand that. That if you, if you as the people, and this is what we said at the beginning of this show, want to exercise authority one over the other, then you're, you're, you're committing the same sin as Pharaoh. You're not following the way of Moses. You're certainly not following the ways of Christ. If you want to have Trump or Joe Biden or or Bill Clinton or the Queen of England or the Prime Minister of Australia, take from your neighbor to provide for your welfare. You're not following the ways of Christ. What is, but you may need help in welfare. So you want to create a network of people who love their neighbor as themselves. That's that's who you want in your network. And the only way you're going to find them out is find out. Because, I mean, it's easy to love you when there's plenty of extra food in the pot. But if you find somebody who says, well, we only have enough food for one more meal, but I'll share it with you, that person's worth saving. <laughs> Get together with that person. Don't ask me to ask Ezekiel why that is. But this is... This is what you want to do. This is the a network that operates that way is the best survival tool you can come across. That that is what you need in your storehouse is a network of thousands and thousands of people who care about you as much as they care about themselves. And you need to start forming that. And of course, that's what the Israelites were doing during these plagues. And they were also realizing that Moses knew what was coming. Now, I, I don't know exactly what's coming. At times I do. I mean, when COVID started, I knew right away that's something wrong here. I, I knew right away that the statistic that Ferguson was, I said, I just looked at it. I said, well, who is saying that? And I look at I look at his picture and I say, that guy's not telling the truth. Later on, I found out that he had received $250,000 from Bill Gates. I didn't know that when I said it. You know, it's like the story, the first time I heard Bill Clinton's voice. I was putting in a door for a local rancher. And I heard this voice on this TV two, three rooms away. And I just heard the voice. I couldn't even make out a single word he was saying. I could just hear the tone. And I, I, I just had to get up. It was a Kodak moment. I was forced to get up by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And I walk into the room. That doesn't happen all the time. The Holy Spirit wouldn't help me put that door on at all. <laughs> well, maybe he was. I'm not going to count him out on it. But I, he definitely said, put your work down and go in and take a look at who this guy is talking. And so I did. And when I got in there, it was the governor of Arkansas. It was Bill Clinton. He wasn't yet president or anything, but he was thinking about it. And I, I said to George, the guy watching TV, I said, that man is an evil man. I didn't know anything about him. And he doesn't look bad. I mean, he doesn't have horns coming out of his hands. Doesn't have a black handlebar mustache or anything like that. So, what, how did I know that? How did all, how did millions of Americans not know that? And see, that's, that's where we're voting with you know, we've given the, uh, what, what do they call the bad guys in the Two Towers <laughs> uh, books? Uh, 
the goblins and the we've given them the and the orcs the right to vote. <laughs> uh, we're in trouble. So because um, we're in a democracy and not a republic. I mean, the, we've left the republic when we went and signed up for the the benefits of FDR. That that was sealing the death of the republic. It is the weakness and, and selfishness of the people is what called the beast into our own soul. We are the beast. If we are taking a bite out of one another, we are one of the twos of the beast. Uh, we are ushering in t- tyranny. And that's why I quote thing, people like Polybius, look up Polybius, look up Plutarch. And they're telling you. That when the people become accustomed and they have an appetite for benefits and they become accustomed to receiving them by the rule of force and violence through their institutions, they will degenerate into orcs and goblins. And that's what's happened. And if we go back to the the idea of paranoid uh, psychopaths, schizophrenia is the result of selfishness. Instead of sacrifice. And this again is why people have PTSD. Of course that's, they had a trauma. They're going to get PTSD if they don't deal with that trauma. And meditation can help you deal with that trauma. You still have to deal with it. But it's a mechanism by which to do it. You know, if you want to get in shape, you got to run. You got to do push-ups. You got to do jumping jacks. You got to, you know, got to do some form of exercise to keep the muscle, muscles toned up. The same way with the muscles of freedom. You have to practice forgiveness, practice humility. And you can't do it as a whole person until you look inside your own heart and mind. And so over and over again, it tells us if a ruler seeks the power to rule, insanity will be the result. As we saw with King Saul. King Saul was driven crazy by the power that people gave them. Democracy gives you power to vote to take away from your neighbor. And you, it's the petita morte. You die a little bit every time you do that. You don't, now people, they don't want to admit it and they, they can't even imagine having a government without the power to exercise authority one over the other. But this is what Moses is going to be teaching us. He's going to teach us how to have a government of the people for the people and by the people, which is why in the in the early Bible, Wycliffe Bible, it said this book was for the government of the people, for the people and by the people. Because it was showing you how to create a social welfare system based on faith, hope and charity, which is what creates the bonds of a free society. And cures that sickness, makes us immune to that sickness that Malone talks about. King Saul was driven nuts by the power that people gave him and the people were made weak by their appetite for the dainties of King Saul and the dainties of rulers. And their denial of their covetous practices where they take a bite out of one another. You know, I mentioned that Bob Dylan says... You have to serve someone. We all have to serve someone. When they were in Egypt, a great deal of their labor was serving the Pharaoh. But when they were in the wilderness, all their labor had to be to serve God. They served God by taking care of their own family, 
taking care of their children, and their children taking care of their parents. But as a nation, they serve God by loving their neighbor as themselves, which Moses said, Jesus said. And the way in which they loved their neighbor as themselves were through the altars of clay and stone that Abraham had showed them how to make, which were piles of living stone upon which they made their free will offering, their Corban, which even Dennis Prager says comes from a word that means to draw near. If you do not have the Corban of Christ to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through pure religion, you will go into the bondage of Egypt. FDR, LBJ, all these guys who promoted these socialist schemes has led us in, to communism where all ten planks of the communist manifesto are law today in America. We're under a communist nation now. Communist government now. We have two parties, but the end results really doesn't. You know, if we have vote Democrats in, we'll be, well, we already are broke. We'll, we'll be worse off in five years. If we vote a Republican, it may take ten years. But it's coming just the same. And it's coming faster and faster. It's like old age. It seems like it takes you forever to get to 40, but it doesn't take very long to get to 70 and 80. <coughs> Excuse me. Our desire to serve God and Chesak, which is that, you know, to take care of the poor, to strengthen the poor. That word that we see there, to strengthen the poor. And that, which it was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. In a time of affluence, we did not strengthen the poor. That's Chazak. We did not Chazak the poor. Which is harden the poor. What? What does that mean? Harden? Well, it means to strengthen. And so when we see this word Chazak, it strengthened Pharaoh in his resolve not to let the people go. Didn't harden his heart every time because there's three different words there. So getting the nuance will help you get a little bit better picture of what's going on. The Pharaoh is being manipulated, not really by God. God knew what to say. You know, and like I said, I've seen Jordan Peterson do this. I won't say with who, but I've seen him do it with some of the people he's interviewing. He's just asking questions, but his questions are leading the person to ask the same question themselves. And he does it in a way that's very disarming. He's very good at what he does. And he's very outspoken. But he's not talking about the elephant in the room. But I'm only up to <laughs> just the beginning of episode 6. We'll see how well they go. And we'll talk more about it as we get to more of Exodus. But we're not practicing pure religion. No churches, maybe the Amish, maybe a few of them. Most people are not practicing pure religion. Pure religion is unspotted by the world. And the word world there is constitutional order and system of government. And that's what we need to do. So as long as we depend upon the system set up by people like FDR and LBJ and, and the other socialists like Obama and universal health care and guaranteed wages, all these things are leading you towards destruction. And this is how we explain it. Philosophers have known about it. Uh, theologians have known about it. Historians have known about it. Political scientists have known about it. And they've written about it. But they don't teach you that in school anymore. And if you don't learn that, you can be deceived. 
and brought under a strong delusion. But your heart should tell you that if you're going to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want, then your neighbor can force you to contribute to what he wants. And you, neither one of you will be free. But if you're free and love one another, you'll have another whole, whole world to face. And if you do the, the former, you'll go back into yoke of bondage. If you do the latter, you will be set free. So in verse 24, I have these admonitions of Epawar. I'll probably clip this out and let this go. I don't see any callers coming in. Uh, that's okay. Uh, we'll, we're just going to give the opportunity probably after every show. We'll give an opportunity for callers. But I want to get through this so we'll have nine all together. Uh, this Epawar wrote at the time. We talked about it in the morning show. Go back and listen to uh, Exodus 8 and uh, you'll find out more about him but he, he wrote indeed the gates and columns and walls are burnt up behold the fire has gone up on the high and its burning goes forth against the enemies of the land fire ran along the ground there was hail and fire he writes indeed trees are felled and branches are stripped off forsooth Gates, columns, and walls are consumed by fire. Now, I had two different translations there, so I don't know what verse the first, some of that first one came from, so I may be repeating it here, but I did find, so the translations are slightly different, but that's what they're talking about. Verse 6, if we go back and read verse 6, it says, Indeed, all the animals, their hearts weep, cattle moan because of the state of the land. Behold, the cattle are kept to stray, and there is none to gather them together. Well, the Israelites already gathered them together, and uh, nobody could go out and gather them once the hail started coming. So it was too late. So if you're going to have a refuge for your cattle, you better be in a network. And uh, maybe God will show you where that refuge is. Gone is the barley of abundance. Food supplies are running short. The nobles hunger and suffer. Those who had shelter are in the dark of the storm, etc. Forsooth, that has perished, which was yesterday's scene. This is verse 32, a relationship to verse 32. The land is left over to the weariness like the cutting of the flax. Forsooth, grain has perished on every side. No fruit or herb were found. That's in Ippor 6.3. It's a single scroll. But anyway, so we got all the way through that page. I see no callers. So we're going to play the outro again so I can get out there and do some work. And uh, I'm losing my voice anyway. <laughs> so until then, go to Preparing You. Join the network. Once you're in the network, as an email network based on geographical area. Then start forming your congregation. Start forming the living network. Because that's the only way these messages are going to go out one of these days. And the reason you join the network is that is your step towards loving your neighbor. You don't join it to save yourself. You join it to love your neighbor. It is not enough to stop coveting your neighbor's goods. You have to counter that 
by loving your neighbor, that is going to take sacrifice, humility, sacrifice, forgiveness. These are the things that Christ preached. If you're not doing them, if you're still taking a bite out of your neighbor through the men who exercised authority one over the other, then you're still not doing what Christ commanded. Because he said it was not to be that way with you. And the only way you can create a social network that I know of, you tell me if there's another way, that operates on faith, hope, and charities that you come together in these many networks. I was talking to somebody in government just the other day. He's done a whole study on this. And maybe we'll do a show about that. But we won't do it today. So until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. And I see the people still standing there in the queue. God bless you. God bless all. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.